Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Snowball Wealth Podcast, where we talk about how to get out of debt and start building wealth. Our first episode is about improving your money mindset to begin building wealth. Today, our guest is Anna Paul, a certified financial planner and snowball money coach. So thank you so much for joining me today, Anna. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Um, can you share a little bit about yourself? And also, I know as a certified financial planner, you probably have a disclaimer. <laughs> yep, sure. So uh, just a little bit of background. Um, full name is Anna Paul. Um, I am a certified financial planner, but I won't be uh, giving any advice today. It's really just going to be a discussion with you today, Tanya, to talk about uh, money and some things to think about. Um, and I am originally from Hampton Roads, Virginia, but I now reside in the lovely city of Charlotte, North Carolina. Nice. Um, and I wanted to get to know you a little bit first before we dive into some of these topics. Um, what was your first money memory? Mm, that's such a good question because I think whenever we talk about money, it always shifts to where a person stands right now um, and like your thoughts on money versus understanding how someone got there. So in terms of what my first memory of money is, I always go back to visits with my grandmother. And when I used to go visit my grandmother, we'd spend the day there and have a great time. And then when my mother would come and pick me up and it was time to go, my grandmother would always hand me money, but it would be in like a secretive manner. So she might hand it to me by putting it in my back pocket, or she might even just, you know, slip it in my hands unnoticed. And that's such an important question in terms of your first memory of money, because what stuck with me about that for quite some time was that money was secretive, mm. that it was something that you didn't talk about or you didn't openly discuss or deal with. And I know that wasn't her intent, um, but that's kind of what I took away from that. Yeah. Yeah. And actually going into that, what, how does the, you know, the memory of money kind of play out as, as you get older and um, do you have any kind of data or insights around that or any other examples? Sure. So when you think about that, that money mindset, um, you know, the way that that played out for me in terms of just moving forward in my journey was for a long time, I didn't talk about money um, in a, in a, open way. And what that did was it also shied me away from actually learning more about it. And mm -hmm. so it wasn't until really when I hit my college years that I started saying to myself, yeah, I want to learn more about money. I want to know how to make more money and make money, make money. Um, outside of that memory with my grandmother, the other earliest memories that I have with money really focused a lot around have it being something that was reserved for those who work really hard or for those who are really smart. Mm -hmm. And just it, it kind of spurred this idea in my mind that it was something that I wasn't supposed to have a lot of. Mm. Um, and so it wasn't until college where I started reading and learning about money that I got into passive income streams and investing mm -hmm. and entrepreneurship. And so... That's kind of what led me down this path that I'm at now. Yeah. Do you remember the first time that you started reading about finance and just it clicked for you where you <laughs> made the decision, I'm going to be a financial planner? 
So the decision to become a financial planner didn't happen until way later, but definitely my freshman year in college. I think what really opened my eyes was that I received, like like many people who are first generation college students, I received financial aid. And so it was funny to me to see how there was this disparity between people who were receiving help from their parents and just charging tuition on a credit card versus those of us who had to wait for a refund check to go out and be able to buy things. And so that really spurred my interest. And I would say like the first books that I read were from like Susie Orman and, you know, just like those type of financial habit books. Um, but then from there, I graduated into starting looking into investing and, and so forth. And I still didn't decide on the path to be a financial advisor until a few years outside of school. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a journey. And um, it is. and yeah, for those listening that aren't familiar with the um, CFP licensing, can you just share a little bit about it and what is sure, CFP? Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I started off my career um, actually just doing regular investment management. So like I had the in the licensing to become like a stockbroker as well as an investment advisor. Um, but the certified financial planning designation is actually considered the standard of excellence when you're talking about financial planning. So you have to have at least three years of experience um, and go through a rigorous course experience where we learn investment management, but also estate planning, insurance planning, tax planning. And so I actually decided to pursue that avenue because I felt like I needed to be at the top of my game in terms of knowledge in order to be able to coach other people. Um, You know, part of why we were really excited to work with you is that you have this you know, financial, you know, background, but at the same time, you do place an emphasis that it's not just about the hard numbers. It is about the emotions and the mindset. And that's why, you know, that's a big part of what we're doing at Snowball is, is that, you know, you can have, you can know exactly what to do, but it's different, you know, holding yourself accountable and having the will to, to do all of these things. And sometimes it takes unlearning habits and sometimes, Um, you know, especially for, you know, women or underrepresented groups or people that, you know, are maybe the first in their family to go to college, you know, every group has these habits or, um, you know, like mindsets that they have, that they want to shift in order to achieve their goals. But, um, I'm curious too, like how did, um, you know, why do you think that mindset is so important? And, um, can you share a little bit about that? Sure. So I was really glad that you brought that up, kind of pivoting back to what we were talking about initially, which is mindset. Because when you think about the traditional financial planning environment, it's very much so, first of all, you need to be wealthy to go speak with an advisor. And then it is, let me create a plan for you on how to grow existing wealth. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Or how Mm -hmm. to avoid paying taxes on this Mm -hmm. wealth. And that's kind of the traditional financial planning model. But when you think about snowball wealth or you think about the coaching model, it's more about let me move you from this position where you are perhaps not making as much money or you don't have that wealth already to a position of being being wealthy. And so when you're working with that group of people where you're talking about people who may not even have a thousand dollars invested yet, 
then you have to look at it from a perspective of mindset first, because oftentimes if we haven't already built that wealth, there's another reason there. And so in just working with my clients, I often say like mindset is the number one thing we work on to start with because your mindset really affects how you see the world, how you interact with the world and how you see yourself. So there's a book that I know both of us read and it's called Atomic Habits by James Clear, where he talks about how if we want to shift our behavior, we have to change our habits. But I add to that, that we have to change the mindset. Because again, if we go back to that early money memory where I thought I can't talk about money or I have to work really hard to achieve it, then both of those combined makes it seem like something that I don't want. Mm -hmm. And so I had to be willing to shift my mindset and who I believed myself to be at the core in order to start building wealth. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that when people talk about mindset, sometimes, you know, you hear the terms of having an abundance mindset versus a scarcity mindset. Can you talk a little bit about that and what it could like, what some examples could, you know, of each of those mindsets look like? Sure. Sure. So when you talk about it, I think it's it's good to think about like practical examples, right? So someone with an abundance mindset, often if they when they start in a journey, for example, if it's paying down debt or starting to build wealth, they're going to start from a place of saying, I know I can do this. There's plenty of money out there. I know that I have unlimited amounts of skill sets that I can go back to and use. It builds confidence and it really puts them in a position to build wealth. But when you operate from a place of lack, you hear people start off with, you know, I have to do this or else I won't have something or I'm, I'm so broke. I need to figure something else mm -hmm. out. And that that small shift is actually huge, especially when it comes to money, because money, in my opinion, is very much so a source of energy. Most of us have to work for our money and that is energy that we give. And then if we know how to use our money, then it can be another form of energy by making more and giving us more time and so forth. But there has to be a, a mind shift that happens to get you there. And so, uh, you know, working with clients often, you know, I think of it like dieting. If you say to yourself, you know, I'm overweight and I need to lose weight, it's really hard to stick to because you started from a place of negativity mm -hmm. versus if you just say, I'm going to become someone who eats healthy, who works out regularly, then it makes it easier to stick to because it's a lifestyle change. And it's really no different when it comes to money. You have to have a mindset that is open to receiving and growing wealth. And I, I love that. And I think that um, there are a lot of parallels between kind of becoming healthy, like physically, mm -hmm. and, and also becoming healthy when it comes to your finances. Mm -hmm. And that's a good point that you brought up too. And you use the term being healthy as opposed to losing weight, yes. because it's like, there is a difference. And that's the same when you think about money, there's a difference between having money and being wealthy because mm -hmm. you can work mm -hmm. 12, 13, 14 hours a day to make money. 
Uh, but then there is a debate with whether or not that makes you wealthy. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, if you make a, a million dollars and you spend a million dollars, a million and one dollars, right. then you're in debt. You know? <laughs> so, you're not. You're not wealthy, uh, right? <laughs> um, and so, that's where the mindset comes in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, and so, what are some keys to developing kind of a healthier relationship with money? And what are some things that you've seen in your practice? Um, that have been really helpful in transforming kind of people's relationship with money? Sure. So I would say the first step when we're looking to change our mindset is to start to dig very deeply. And here's where I say that as opposed to it being just like financial you know, education or literacy, it's really about financial wellness because you have to really start with who you are at your core as a person and ask yourself why you're in the situation that you're in and what changes you're willing to make. So a good example of that is I was working with a client who had a ton of credit card debt. And for this particular client, you know, I'm like, you know, a lot of this debt was incurred years ago. You've never really dealt with it. Now here you are looking to try to pay it off, but you don't really seem motivated to get it paid off. And when we dug deeply, just at the core, what's really going on? What are you really feeling? She admitted to me that, hey, I incurred this debt in a previous relationship. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's unfair Mm -hmm. that I have to pay all this debt back myself when I didn't incur it myself. And that's really tough. And it's something that we all can relate to. That's an emotion that we all can relate to. And Although we think we're logical creatures, 90% of our financial decisions are actually emotional. And so we had to have a, a full session where we talked about that. And I agreed with her that it wasn't fair, but where do you want to go from here? What are you going to do? And that alone, that mind shift from being angry and upset about the past to looking forward and getting out of debt made all the difference when it came to paying off those credit cards. And so go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, no, that just reminded me. I, um, I got excited because it reminded me that there are a lot of these concepts in behavioral finance that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, once you're aware of them, you start to pick up on them. So immediately when you said that, I was like, oh man, sunk cost fallacy. And so like, like, what are some, uh, I guess sticking with this example, how was she able to overcome that? Right. Um, It was really about um, kind of going deeply again into her emotions and how she was feeling and then kind of separating herself from from the past, letting it go. So mm-hmm. in here, it's kind of almost like therapy yeah. in a way, but it's like, how do you let that go? Because oftentimes when we go through, go through things in life, as we all will, yeah. We act that out in different ways and many people don't realize it, but most of us end up acting it out with our spending. Mm. Uh, We tend to spend more when we're, when we feel low Mm -hmm. um, and so forth. And so it was about her really confronting that emotion that she felt, which is really anger and coming away from that, you know, a little more hopeful so that she could motivate herself into paying off that debt. Yeah. And I'm happy to report that she 
is paying that debt off and doing well, but you have to overcome those blocks first in order to get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so important to identify that. And what are some other um, kind of behavioral finance concepts that you, um, you know, my, I know we can't go over all of them um, here, but... <laughs> Um, but what are some of your favorites that you think that our listeners should, should know about? I think one of the, the most, well, I won't say it's the most common, but one of the biggest ones is loss aversion. Mm -hmm. And that is where we have this aversion, uh, to, to loss. Like we are more afraid of losing than we get excited about gains. Mm -hmm. So these are the people who are going to play it very safe and, I think that that's one that I find to be very important because in working with people, what I often find when it comes to the blocks of, you know, not investing, not getting ahead, not asking for promotions, it's this idea that I'm going to somehow lose and the fear of losing overpowers the drive to win. Mm. And we see that in investing. Sure, mm -hmm. you can use that in that context. But we also see that on the personal side when it comes to building wealth, especially if you don't come from a family of wealth. Sometimes you think to yourself, you know, I want to hold so tightly to what I have or I'm afraid to win. Mm -hmm. I did have a client um, that I was working with that helped me uncover some things even about myself in a discussion where you know, I always ask people, what's your biggest money fear? Mm -hmm. And she kind of flipped it back on me. And I said, my biggest money fear is failure. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it for a while. And I'm like, am I really afraid to fail? Yeah. I'm actually a pretty, I'm, I'm a risk taker. Mm -hmm. I enjoy risk. Am I really afraid to fail? And what I learned through, you know, just doing the work mm -hmm. is, it wasn't failure that I was afraid of. It was rejection. Mm -hmm. And this idea that if I'm not who I project myself to be or this person that I've created, that I would be rejected. And that people don't think so, but it impacts your finances. Mm -hmm. And so there's all these behavioral aspects that we don't think about when we're when we embark on a journey that's financial. We think that it's all about the numbers, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for sharing that. I think that, you know, some of these topics can feel really vulnerable and oh, um, it can, you know, like you, like you said, money is emotional. And um, for those listening that maybe are in debt and are feeling anxious about it or, um, you know, sometimes even avoiding their accounts, what's your advice for them? Sure. My, my advice in that, if you are avoiding even getting started, is to talk with someone. Because often when we have it in our minds, our minds can conjure up all types of different thoughts. And often it's doing it subconsciously, like we're not even the drivers of our thoughts. And so I would encourage anybody who is looking to start their journey to speak with someone, whether that is a therapist or in this case, financial, feel free to talk to a, you know, financial wellness minded coach, you know, here, of course, here at Snowball, that's an option, but talk to a coach because they can help you uncover the blocks that you're experiencing. Because if you can't get started, then there's obviously some sort of block and you have to figure out what that block is. I, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's funny because like, I think that 
sometimes when it, when I get on these calls, like I think one one person called it financial therapy, or like <laughs> absolutely <laughs> in a way. Um, but um, but yeah, a lot of it is just saying it out loud feels like a weight is lifted sometimes. It's true. Um, it's so true. I, I emphasize it that the fi- the traditional financial planning model, it doesn't work for most people. You know, I even sometimes I'm offended when people say financial literacy because I'm like, it, it almost insinuates that people who are not, you know, wealthy have no clue about money. And that's not always the case. It's a lot of times that they don't have the same, um, you know, access that someone who is wealthy has. And you need someone to talk you through these things that we we wouldn't ordinarily think about because we've been taught that money is so separate from our emotions, that mm-hmm. it's just numbers. And it's totally not. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think also we're socialized that money's taboo to talk about, like asking right. how much you're investing. I kind of shamelessly <laughs> always ask my friends, like, what are you investing in? And like, what are you like, um, And so just because I love to hear, you know, people's strategies and, and what they're doing. Um, and kind of shifting gears a little bit, I want to talk about money boundaries. Because I think mm. that... Um, this is a topic that comes up a lot in our community. You know, sometimes people have to support their family. Sometimes, you know, they're supporting their larger community and um, which is awesome. We a hundred percent support that, but sometimes, you know, you can get into a bind if you end up supporting people more than you can afford. And it's sometimes it's just hard to say no. So right. like, what are, you know, can we talk a little bit about money boundaries and some of your experiences in that too? And like maybe some ways to identify kind of weak money boundaries and like some examples of what healthy ones look like. Sure. Sure. So going back to like financial therapy, right? So if you are in therapy, one of the things your therapist would likely talk to you about is the importance of setting boundaries. And it's no different when it comes to your money because boundaries communicate value. They set expectations. Like it's absolutely healthy to have money boundaries, but they're very difficult in reality. It's another one of those things where we think about it for theory versus reality. And in reality, it's difficult to say no to people that you love, um, especially when people can genuinely be in need. And so what I normally say when I'm coaching my clients through this, which they tend to be women uh, that are overgiving, is you can only pour from, an, from people normally say from a full cup, but I say from an overflowing cup, you can pour more freely. You know, the, the idea of putting your own mask on first is not, it's, absolutely the case when it comes to money, because especially if people depend on you, what happens when, when it's no longer there? And so that is part of the coaching sessions for me is teaching people how to set appropriate money boundaries. One of the rules that I have is set money aside in your budget. If you know that you just are a generous person and you're going to help people, that money should be set aside in your budget so that it's never taken away from something that you need. Um, But that also being firm as well as kind. Mm -hmm. And going back to the emotional aspect where I mentioned to you, you know, that I uncovered like not a fear of failure, but a fear of rejection. It's 
uncover the real why. Why are you afraid to say no? Do you think that you're going to come off as selfish or or some something else? It's like you have to be able to identify your whys and then set up firm money boundaries. Um, one of the signs that I always notice of weak money boundaries is when people come to me and of course, in a financial therapy session, it's completely different. And I'm like, what happened to your budget this month? And it's, oh, someone needed this. And I'm like, well, did they need it? <laughs> you know, or like, how dire was this? Or last minute, my friends wanted to go on a trip and I knew it wasn't in my budget. I didn't want to do it, but I also didn't want to let them down. Mm. And that's where I come in. And I'm just, I, I will just say outright, you have to be willing to have the disapproval and rejection of others or else you can't go anywhere. You, you, you're not going to be able to accomplish your goals if you're not able to at least handle a basic uh, level of disappointment. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, all of this is definitely, it's similar going back to the, the analogy of therapy. All of this is a, a journey, right? And it's not always linear. And so, you know, Absolutely. sometimes, you know, you can be doing amazing financially and then something will happen in your life. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a breakup. Life. Yeah. Things <laughs> happen. Maybe it's a pandemic that will, that will like set you off course. So like when you do get off course or when people get off course, what are some ways to kind of like do a reset or like do a restart. And that's actually why a lot of people joined our premium membership recently. Cause they just want like a boost of like, okay, I just, I need like a little boost or a reset, but what are some other ways that people can kind of get this kind of reset? Sure. So the first thing that I normally say is anticipate setbacks because it's going to happen. I know I always use the example of eating healthy and getting and you know getting better because that's what I identify with mostly, but I know that I'm not the only one who, you know, you start a diet or decide to eat better at the beginning of the year and then you have an, an off day where you ate something wrong and then it's like, "Oh, well then that's the end of that." Because you have such a linear way of thinking like it has to just go like this. But it doesn't. You're going to make mistakes. And so you have to anticipate that and say, today was an off day. I'm going to jump right back on mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. But when we think in terms of all or nothing, that's when we really get ourselves into trouble. And so if you go into it with the mindset that you're going to make mistakes, they don't hurt as bad when you actually make them and you can actually write them into the plan. But one of the other ways that I think is most effective is to get around people with similar mindsets and similar goals so that they can hold you accountable. So getting yourself into a group of people who are saying, I want to be wealthy. I want to have this money. I want to yeah. eat healthy. You're going to be able to pick up on, on their energy and that, that will propel you as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too, that you mentioned that because even as I, um, you know, as you say that, sometimes you can even convince your friends to start developing <laughs> some of these habits too, and they they can get inspired also. Right. So like even with friends, I'll be like, oh, instead of eating out, do you want to just cook, you know, dinner instead, and we can both save money. <laughs> and yes, people will be like, oh yeah, exactly. I do want to do that. And um, or sometimes I'll be honest and say, hey, I'm on a budget, like, or I'm saving up for this. Mm -hmm. Can we, you know, do X Y Z instead? And so sometimes. It's also, you know, it's just uh, being open with with people too. In addition to surrounding yourself with with others that have have a healthy mindset, um, 
Absolutely. Um, well, uh, we're just finishing up. Is there anything else that you want to share about mindset or any other kind of points that you want to kind of leave our listeners with? No, I think we really covered the bulk of it, but I think the main piece of it is just to understand that with anything, any journey that you're embarking on, but especially one where you're looking to, you know, build wealth, we have to start with the mind. Everything starts in the mind. Um, even an idea, it's all going to start in the mind. And that is why it's so important, in my opinion, when you do this to target um, to figure figure out why you're not where you want to be, mm-hmm. figure out what those blocks are, and then basically develop a plan and stick to it. But understanding that it's not just about the outcomes. You have to be willing to change who you are. And you can't change who you are unless you change your mindset. I love that. I love that. <laughs> and just leaving one more thing, because it's something that it reminds me of something that you mentioned in our last workshop, is that when... Um, you know, being understanding that it took years to develop this mindset when you were growing yes. up and it's going to take years to unlearn some of the things that you Absolutely. have been doing on, on autopilot. So I think just being compassionate. Um, it's a journey. It is a journey. It's a journey. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Anna. Um, really excited that we um, did our first podcast episode. And it's great. <laughs> and for those that want to book a session with Anna, um, I'll leave a link in um, the bio to be able to book a session. And you can also, um, if you sign up for the premium membership, you'll be um be a part of her workshops in addition to getting some of those goal setting sessions. So, um, awesome. Well, thank you so much again. And I hope you have a great day. Uh, Thanks. You too.